Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to hear real life stories about how God works all things together for good, because he is always faithful and always good. Well, hey, before we get this party started, I have some exciting news for you. If you're ready to get your book in front of an entirely new and fast-growing market, an audiobook would be perfect for you. Having an audiobook gives you the opportunity to get your book in front of more people while giving the listener a new way to hear your story in an intimate way. An estimated 131 million people listen to an audiobook in 2021. And do you know that the people that listen to audiobooks don't read print books? They only listen to audiobooks. So it's a whole new market for you to take advantage of. Leverage the opportunity of getting your book in front of millions of people by having an audiobook today. We can help you create one. Visit redemptionpressaudio.com for our introductory special. Well, hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to yet another new Redemption Press author, Paula Freeman, and her new book, Learning to Be Me Without You, A Story of Love, Loss, and Coming Home. And this was such a compelling conversation. You are going to love this today. But let me give her a proper introduction before we roll that conversation. Paula Freeman, MSW, is founder and former executive director of Hope's Promise, a Colorado licensed adoption agency and orphan care ministry. She's the author of A Place I Didn't Belong, Hope for Adoptive Moms and Learning to Be Me Without You, A Story of Love, Loss and Coming Home. Widowed with seven grown children, she lives in Kansas City, but still calls Colorado home. And she gets to the beach as often as she can. So let's just roll that tape and be blessed. Well, Paula Freeman, it is such a delight to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. It is so fun to be with you. Thanks. I appreciate it. You bet. Well, after spending uh, some great days together at uh, the Christian Product Expo, I uh, have the honor of at least meeting you in person. So many people that I interview, I've only known on Zoom or on email. And so it's just fun to get to see your face again and be able to talk about all that God has done with your story. So before we jump into your new book, which is your story, um, I would love for you to just share whatever Romans 8:28 story where God has worked all things together for good when it couldn't possibly look like he could. Um, I would just love to have you share that so our audience can get a better feel for how work God works behind the scenes in your life. I would love to do that. And Athena, my 
Romans 8.28 story starts in the winter of 2014 when my husband and I got a diagnosis that took his life and changed mine forever. Doctors told him that he has what is commonly known as pulmonary, uh, pulmonary fibrosis or interstitial lung disease. And because my father died of it and his father died of it, we knew that it was incurable and that there was no effective treatment. So denial did not live very long at our house. And we decided early on that we were gonna face this diagnosis and whatever it brought to us straight up. We talked about everything, we dealt with everything. And one of the things we did was we spent a lot of time at the beach. That was our happy place. And uh, that's where he wanted to spend a lot of his time. And our favorite was Topsail Island in North Carolina, off the North Carolina beach. And on one of the visits, he came back from his morning trip to the coffee shop and he said, you know, sweetheart, I think I'd really like to move here. And I was flummoxed and I said, well, sweetheart, you know that we're gonna need our family and our church family more than ever. I'm confused by why now is a good time to leave home everything we know and come someplace that we really don't know anybody. And he said, well, I can breathe better here. And I want a quality of life that I can have like this for as long as I can. So I knew then I was all in. We went back to Colorado. We plunked a for sale sign in our yard, called the movers, loaded the dogs, and we drove to North Carolina for our last big adventure. But unexpectedly, he died two weeks after we got there. And that made me confront the fears, the two great fears that I had in my life. One, that I couldn't survive the grief of his death. And secondly, that God was not going to be enough. But in the final days that Ray was still alive, I began to sense in my heart and know that for whatever reason, this is exactly where I was supposed to be. I didn't know anybody. I called it my 19 month set apart season by the sea. And after all of the funeral plans were done, the people were gone, uh, we'd gone back to Colorado for all of that. I came back to North Carolina and I entered a season of solitude and stillness. And I began to journal through my grief. Because I had gone through depression earlier in my life, I understood where my wounds were and I understood what my tendencies were to minimize and move on. But in this situation, I knew how important it was and I invited Jesus to be in that grief with me. And I said, I am here for as long as it takes to do this well. And I journaled and I journaled and I journaled some more. The graces, the healing, the feelings I wanted to remember. I wanted a timeline that I could attach myself to because I knew I would not remember things clearly. And in that season, Athena, I fell in love with a gentler and a kinder Jesus. And I discovered the presence of God in the wilderness of widowhood. That made surviving grief and knowing that God was enough, enough. One of the things that Ray and I knew, or two things we knew actually, when we left Colorado to go to North Carolina was number one, we would leave together. And number two, I would come home to Colorado by myself. I did that in the spring of 2017. And I kept writing, I kept journaling. And now the challenge was unpacking all that I had learned, all that God had graciously 
had me unlearn and relearn and learn for the first time about who he was, about who I was, about his faithfulness, his enoughness, and the way that the jagged edges of grief were just simply enfolded into that knowing. And it took me a while to write through all of this, and I wept through most of it. And somewhere in there, I began to hear this heartbeat, and I'm going, huh, I bet there are a few other women out there who have gone through the same thing I have that maybe they fear that they can't survive the grief if their husband dies, or they might think they're a Christian poser because they can't believe yet that God is going to be enough. I remember one day when I was in North Carolina, I had taken my journal and my Bible and gone to the beach before sunrise. And as I sat there watching the sun lift itself above the Atlantic, I prayed yet again, Lord, what is my purpose? What is my repurposed life going to look like? I know you've left me here on purpose for a purpose. I didn't expect an immediate answer, but somewhere I knew that he was beginning to niggle two things in my life. And one was that I would comfort others as I had been comforted. And the second was that I would continue with the legacy that my husband and I wanted to leave with our seven children. We have four by birth and three by adoption. And one of the things, now I'm back in Colorado, as I'm sitting there, I'm remembering that morning and that sense that I was to comfort others as I had been comforted. And one of the main ways I was comforted was reading the story of those who had not only survived grief, but had thrived in it. It had become a crucible in which they had met the Lord in a different way and allowed him to bring healing and hope and grace into their lives. And I thought, I've done it the other way. I wanna do it God's way this time. And maybe I can have language, maybe I can provide comfort to others in the ways that I have received comfort through story and through writing. I kept writing and living life. I was back and I was trying to figure out what my new life was and uh, just kept writing and kept writing and had this sense, okay, I think this is gonna be a book, but I, I'm not sure yet exactly how. And then COVID, and isn't that a phrase we use a lot these days? And then COVID. Yeah. And while I don't ever want to minimize the tragedy that many people faced and the hurt and the pain, for me, I had learned how to do sol solitude in North Carolina and this season alone wasn't that big of a deal for me. In fact, I chose to receive it as a gift from God to actually write this book. So I spent about eight months living in this cocoon as I was still figuring out what all of this had meant in my life. And that's when the first draft of Learning to Be Me Without You was done. And by the time I got to that point, it was December of 2020. And I thought, you know, I'm pretty done with this story for a while. I think it needs to sit on a shelf for a little bit and incubate and let me come back to it with fresh eyes and a fresh heart and see what this looks like. By March of 2021, another tragedy hit our family. When my son-in-law died two weeks after being no, diagnosed with two rare forms of uh, blood cancer. And he left my daughter and three little girls alone without a daddy and without a husband. I knew that I needed to be there to support my daughter 
for a couple of reasons. One, she was my daughter. Secondly, I am an adoption um, social worker. I started an organization in 1990 called Hope's Promise that was adoption agency and international orphan care ministry. And I understood the issues that she would be facing as an adoptive mother. I was a widow. I thought I, I'm uniquely qualified at this point to help her in some pretty profound ways. And so I loaded my car. I came to Kansas City two weeks before Eric died and ended up staying with her for about three months. And in that period of time, we decided that, yes, I would move here to be a full-time source of support. She is a great mom, a great homeschool mom. She was an adoption social worker that understands the profound issues her daughters are going to face in all of this. But somehow I knew that I needed to be here because the second piece of that, as I considered what I remember sensing from the Lord early on, that I would be a part of building back the legacy or into the legacy that my husband and I had started. I'd had this growing sense that I need to invest in treasures that last. And as I considered my daughter, as she had just crossed the threshold into her own widowhood with three little girls, these are treasures that last. And this is where at least a part of my repurposed life for a season needs to happen. So once again, I moved, and this time to Kansas City, and I'm now beginning to unpack the Romans 8.28 thing. How does or how do all things work together for the good, for my good, for the good of others? I've seen God work all things together for good in my own widowhood. The time I spent journaling, then writing this book, was healing and transformative for me. And it better prepared me to serve others well, including my daughter. I also know that God has redeemed Ray's death for the sake of our daughter and others. I believe he unknowingly played a starring role in helping his little girl because of what he and I had faced together. Even my move to Kansas City has been redemptive because it answered my prayer. How, God, are you going to repurpose my life? And not only for my sake, but for the sake of others. I'm continuing to see so many expressions of his grace in ways that in these unfathomably sad situations, his grace has been abundant his presence has been real. And even as we weave our stories together now, I see God's goodness and how he is bringing all things together for good in these hard situations. That is just, I mean, you look back and you go, you, I mean, you can't make that stuff up. No. But he would be preparing you with your own grieving to minister to your daughter Yes. At a very early, I mean, that's a young age to be a widow. And my goodness, just the, wow. I mean, that is really taking such pain and repurposing that pain to, to yeah. where it can be such life-giving hope to 
someone who's following in your footsteps and who would have guessed that she would be? I couldn't have written this script if I tried a million times, nor would I have wanted to. Oh. And yet I can't begin to describe how neither could I write the script of God's goodness hmm. in this wow. grief. Wow. So I want to kind of um, back up a little because I love um, how you described your healing journey, um, a, a very intentional healing journey and just the, you know, the title, Learning to Be Me Without You. Tell us just a little, unpack that a little bit for us, because that is some real major, that's such an important piece of the grief process when you lose someone that's that integral in your life. It is. And actually, it has its roots in a fiction book that I was reading about two Amish twins. One of them wanted to keep the traditional life. One of them wanted to go to New York. And as they were parting, one of them said to the other, how can I ever learn to be me apart from who you are? And these were twins. And I thought I'm sitting there one evening and I'm going, that's exactly my battle right now. My struggle is how can I learn to be me? We had spent so much time in 42 years, three months and 10 days of marriage investing in oneness that what do you do? Who are you when you're suddenly amputated? Because what happens in marriage is you create this sense of a we identity. And I was afraid that when half of the we fell off, I wouldn't even recognize the me part of what that faith and that identity is all about. So I recognize for me, it's like, ah, sweetheart, I am now learning, having to learn in so many ways how to be me without you. As I have gotten to know more widows through the years and I listen and I hear their story, that's a resounding theme, whether they use that word or not. It's just like, I don't know what to do in this situation. It's, we don't know the roles, the responsibilities and the rhythms all change. And somehow we got to get on top of this thing and figure out how do we learn to be me without you? An interesting aside to this was I have a friend that I um, that I meet with quite regularly here. And she said, I realized I need to read this with a different lens because I this applies to so much else, Paula, so many other kinds of grief. She said, I need to learn to be me without God fulfilling the expectations and the hopes and dreams that I had. I need to learn to be me as I age. This isn't what I thought it might be like. So whatever we find ourselves without, it's really a book for those who grieve and it transcends widowhood, but it's learning to be me without that thing that helped define who I was and allow God to be who he is. Hmm. So what I love about what I'm hearing you say in, in your friends, like wanting to look at it from all the different angles is we just come out of a pandemic where this is like the message for those who have lost the, their way of life. There, you know, could have been a loved one, but it could have just been they didn't get to get do their graduation. They missed all these, you know, all the things that we lost during those two years and are maybe some are still struggling with how to 
redefine their lives and understand their purpose with all those changes. Because change, we have to grieve change. It doesn't have to be a death. That's exactly right. And I, I think, and, and I don't want to sound, the last thing I want to do is sound Pollyanna-ish or Pat answer. I'm a social worker. I, I go dark places and deep places with people who do grieve. I understand it. I honor it. But I think what I'm learning in my own life, and I, I'm just, I feel like I'm, I'm a kindergartner on this journey, Athena, but it's the more that we let go and open our hands, the more we look at things from God's perspective and ask who he wants us to be in this situation, rather than asking him to bless our dreams and hopes and resurrect our lives and the things we've lost, um, we're missing something because somehow he puts all those pieces back together. And even in our losses, even in our disappointments, um, his enoughness is full mm. and it's rich and it's centering and it slows us down. That is so good. And, and that just made me think of, you know, the Romans eight twenty eight is boy, he works all things together for good, even the hard things. But if we go to verse 29, he does that so that he can conform us to the likeness of his son. And that's not always comfortable, but that's what he's looking for. Part of what I talk about in my book is how I just thought I could outrun this thing called sorrow and suffering. I didn't, I didn't, didn't, didn't thought maybe if I did it right the first time, God wouldn't have to take me through anything like that, you know, and, and you don't know the things you don't know when you're younger and you're making these vows to yourself. But I, somewhere I kind of thought, you know, if I try really hard and I do enough good things and if I pray right, maybe God will allow some of that to skip over me. And what I'm learning is one of the most significant aspects of the Christian life is the call to suffer yep. and to enter into Jesus' sufferings. And not only that, but allow him the place he deserves in our own. And had I had my wishes, I, I would be a far different person. And I thank God mm. for what he's doing in my life today. And um, I don't want to ask for suffering. I figure it'll find me again in his own time. <laughs> But I, I hope I will take some of these lessons and some of the sweetness and some of the experiential knowledge of his presence in these hard times because mm. they make all the difference in the world. They do. They sure do. Oh, I, you know what? We could keep going for another hour easily because we're just hitting on some things that I think are so we don't hear enough how to suffer well, but we're out of time. So I would love for those who are listening, if they want to find you on social media or online, what, what is the best place for them to find you? The best place, Athena, is to check out my website, paulasfreeman.com, or email me at paulasfreeman at gmail.com. Perfect. Let me just say it has been a delight to have this conversation, to hear more of the behind the scenes things, and just to um, share that wisdom that you've gained through 
that process of suffering and grieving. And I just am grateful for your ministry and all that God is going to do through this book. So thank you so much for taking some time today to be on the podcast. It's been my great pleasure. Thanks, Athena. You bet. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Romans 828 Bookstore and Redemption Press. If today's episode encouraged you, we would love to have you share it with your friends on social media and maybe even leave a review on Apple. That will help the algorithms get us up higher to the top when people are searching for podcasts that can bring them hope and encouragement. So thanks again for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.